0: On the corner of Broadwick Street and Carnaby Street at the western end of Soho, you have probably noticed the spirit of Soho mural. It's been there since 1991 and depicts about 50 or so notable historical figures who are connected to the area in some way. Very prominent front and centre is a group of four people comprising Mozart, Teresa Cornelis, her ex-boyfriend, some guy called Casanova and Karl Marx. Marx and his wife, Jenny, lived in Soho for just under six years in the 1850s. For most of that time, they and their children were crammed into a couple of upstairs rooms at 28 Dean Street. This is now the site of the swanky Quo Vardis restaurant, and there's a blue plaque on the wall to commemorate their famous former tenant. By this stage in his life, Marx had been a political agitator for several years and was in exile from his home country, having also lived in France and Belgium. He'd already written the Communist Manifesto, and it was during his time in Soho that he wrote the bulk of his seminal work, Das Kapital. It wasn't a happy time for him or his family, though, as they lived in severe poverty for most of this period, and suffered from ill health and personal tragedy. Tony Shrimplin from the Museum of Soho is the man to talk to about all things to do with Soho's rich history. Being the responsible, socially distant fellows that we are, I spoke to him on Skype hence the occasional glitches in audio quality, about the only Soho resident to have had an ism named after him.
1: Mott came into Soho in 1851. In fact, you know, we're going to talk about 28 Dean Street, but he actually lived in Dean Street just before that, uh, at number 64, which would be where um, just between um, Bouchier Street On Dean Street, there's a restaurant there. And just before uh, Goldcrest, that's where the site of that building would have been. But around January 1851, he moves to 28 Dean Street, which is, as you know, the Quo Vadis restaurant. He rents two rooms initially and later on a third one, um, which he uses as a study. The ratepayer is an an Italian-born cook called uh, John Marengo. And there's also an Italian confectioner and a teacher of languages living there
0: as well at the same time. Different flats within the same building, kind of think, or, or, or they all live together?
1: No, no, in, in the same building. Right. And, well, there's some really sort of horrible descriptions of the place. Um, he lived in squalor, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, his wife, Jenny, describes it as the evil, frightful rooms which encompassed all our joy and all our pain. And, I mean, Marx had seven children in total, and... I think only two survived to, to adulthood, in fact, and he he lost two children, actually, at his time in Soho while he was there.
0: He's also around
1: during the um, cholera outbreak of 1854.
0: Oh, is that the John Snow one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Uh, I can remember listening to the BBC historian, I think it's Lucy Worsley, saying that is writing back home to to Germany, and she's she's also she's complaining about you know the rooms and saying that we, we pay as much here in one week for a couple of rooms, um, back home in Germany we could get um, a whole townhouse for a month, so the rent <laughs> seems sort of pretty pretty
0: high. So nothing changes then in Soho. I, no, I no. assumed he was there because it was cheap. There's a Prussian
1: agent who comes to visit, and he gives a very sort of descriptive um, account of the rooms in one of the worst therefore so the cheapest quarters of london he occupies two rooms in the whole apartment there is not one clean and furniture to be found all is broken tattered and torn everywhere clings thick dust everywhere is the greatest disorder his manuscripts books and newspapers lie beside the children's toys bits and pieces from his wife's work basket teacups with broken rims dirty spoons knives forks lamps and inkwell tumblers, Dutch clay pipes, tobacco ash, all this on the same table. Sitting down is a really hazardous business. But all this gives Marx and his wife not the slightest embarrassment. One is received in the friendliest way.
0: (laughs) So it's it's hardly surprising a couple of his kids pop the clogs on, is it? Do you know how they died?
1: No, I don't, just that they were still sort of very young. And, of course, the infant mortality rate's really high in the 19th century. I mean now there's probably around two and a half, three thousand residents back in the sort eighteen of nineties, anyway, in the nineteenth century, you've got thirty thousand people. Wow sort of squashed in into this area. Also about I don't think they were that great with money. And even though I think Jenny Marks comes from a quite middle class family, um you know, fairly well to do. There are accounts that she was often at the pawn shop pawning the, the family cutlery. And there is one account of actually Karl Marx being arrested in 1854, trying to pawn the cutlery. But I think because he looked so disheveled, they thought he'd stolen it. <laughs> right. And I mean, there's other connections with Marx in Soho, of course, because he joins a, um, the Socialist German Workers Educational Society, and they actually hold meetings in the Red Lion pub which is on the corner of Archer Street and Great Windmill Street. I think it's now a B at 1 cocktail bar. at 1, bar. that's
0: right, yeah. So an upstairs room in that pub, was it?
1: Yeah, and they give talks there. But he falls out with them and he he resigns in, in 1850.
0: It seemed that he spent a lot of his time, even before he moved to England, forming alliances with people along the same kind of ideological lines and then falling out with them again and... Yeah, moving from place to place. Because London was about the fourth or fifth city he lived in, wasn't it?
1: He's a political agitator and he's not really that welcomed in Europe. He gets chucked out of Germany, out of uh, Paris. And in 1848, there's this sort of revolutionary wave going through Europe. It's called the springtime of the people or the, the spring of nations. So there's a lot of political unrest going on. And he's also going to the British Museum's library and studying there. In fact, he, while he's in Soho, he completes the uh, first volume of Das Kapital. Probably all the squalor and everything informed him, you know, all his time here must have yeah. had a great effect. He wasn't a particularly healthy man. He had, I think, a liver condition, quite irritable, and he didn't help things by... He liked quite a lot of rich food and drink as well.
0: Yeah, and smoking and stuff. It wasn't. Didn't he have boils in all sorts of unmentionable places and he can mm. sit down properly and that kind of thing <laughs> he was a proper beery drinking lad wasn't he he wasn't the sort of um constantly thinking about the plight of the working man and everything but actually he was off he was a bit of a boozer and a bit of a carouser and that kind of thing
1: yeah and there's a number of uh illegitimate children as well in the mix too i think
0: yes i've read about that who was that with was it a housekeeper or something or
1: yeah so also at the flat there's also um a housekeeper living there and an english nurse as well
0: quite a full house so he had a housekeeper he lived in poverty but had a housekeeper yeah i mean
1: things don't i'm getting like conflicting information um as i say very high rents but they're living absolutely in in squalor.
0: So, for these five or six years he was in Soho, how was he earning his living? Because what writing Das Kapital in the British Library or British Museum isn't going to earn you anything, is it?
1: So, and Marx is earning a living also writing for certain um, publications, including the People's Paper and the New York Tribune. Um, and he's writing about the intrigues of revolutionary politics. And of course, he's as we were saying, he's going to the British Museum, and uh, there's a piece. What's it called? It's I, to give my German. It's the critic, the politician, Ochionomark. Yeah, that's not my. That's good enough. I'll get a best. German
0: person to voice that over. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, writing articles and things, was he? And um,
1: yeah, and that's of adding a few um, pence ago. A few pence. Also, I mean, once Jenny Marks inherits money from her family. And as soon as she gets that money, they're out. And they, as I said, moved, moved to Kentish Town. It wasn't a particularly good period of their lives, really,
0: I don't think. Living in Soho? Not at all. And how did they actually end up in London? or Was, it, was London a, a particular hotbed of revolutionary activity or something? Is that what attracted him here? or No, I,
1: I think it was probably the only place that accepted him at the time. As I say, he'd been expelled from Germany and from, uh, from Paris. He first came to London in 1845. He comes back Two years later, just before the publication of the Communist Manifesto, which was 1848. Yeah, he's he he's 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 been expelled from his homeland, and he settles permanently in London in 1849 with, with his
0: family. And that was the rest of his life, wasn't it? He stayed. He lived and and died yeah. as well.
1: And in and in fact, at the Highgate, all, all the family are in that memorial. Uh, that to you know the tomb, the Karl Marx Memorial. Yeah, they're all there. Also, the plaque that's up there now at Quo Vadis, that wasn't put up till 1967, I believe. And previous to that, they'd actually wanted to put the plaque at the house where he died because he, he moved to 41 Maitland Park Road, Kentish Town, and that he moved there in 1875. And as you say, he died there. They would wanted to put a plaque there. They tried it twice, but It was vandalised both times, and on the third time, the person who had that house said, I've had enough, you know. And that's when they focused on the 28 Dean Street.
0: I read um, a quote from the person who ran Quo Vardis at the time, who he he also wasn't keen on having a a Marx plaque on the restaurant. And he said, I've written this down, he says... My clientele is the very best, rich people, nobility, and royalty, and Marx was the person who wanted to get rid of them all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, the irony's not lost.
0: Yeah, I can imagine he, he wouldn't have been uh, all that welcome down at Quo Vardis, <laughs> even if it had been uh, around at the time.
1: But he would have been welcome at Blacks.
0: I yeah, think. that's true. And lots of places in Soho as well, he would have um, been welcome yeah. now. Yeah, he would. Karl Marx died in 1883, so I didn't live to see some of the radical events that took place in his name, although I'm not sure he would have approved of how his ideas were interpreted and implemented in the Soviet Union, North Korea and China. He may have felt more at home just around the corner, though, in Rose Street, between Creek Street and Charing Cross Road. It's now called Manette Street, but number six, just behind the Pillars of Hercules, was the location of the Rose Street Club, a centre for radical left-wing and anarchist thought which was formed by German immigrants not long after Marx had moved to leafy Kentish town. Look out for a feature about the Rose Street Club in a future episode of Soho Bites. My thanks to Tony for coming on the show and you can find details about his work at the Museum of Soho at the end of the programme or in the show notes at sohobitespodcast.com